Hello everyone, I'm Sophie. And I'm Gemma. And this is True Crime Say What, the show where I know what I'm talking about. And I'm just here for the ride. Okay, so, (laughs) listen guys, I had this amazing episode typed up for Amanda Knox. No, we, we recorded this amazing episode for Amanda Knox. Yes, we did. And it was great because Amanda Knox is such a fun, well, fun? <laughs> I don't know about that one. It's such an interesting story, especially to someone who's never heard it. Definitely. Because there's a lot of twists and turns. <laughs> but uh, the recording was lost. So yeah, we are redoing it. But just so you know, Gemma does know this one and she has heard this one. <laughs> Yes. But I didn't want to not do it because I love this case. You know, it's still a good case and there will probably still be things that I don't completely remember. So. I, I also added a couple details. Okay. Not not too many, but I added a, a couple little ones that I remembered here and there. All right. All right. So Amanda Knox was born July 9th, 1987 in Seattle, Washington, which. Mm-hmm. Is cool because we were born in Washington. Yes. And uh, I think me and Alex, which is our older brother, were born in Seattle. I don't know where you were born. I was born in Everett. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. She was the oldest daughter to Edna and Kurt Knox, and she had two younger sisters that came along after her. And I said Edna. It's actually Ida. Sorry, Ida. Oh. Ida was a math teacher who was originally from Germany, and Kurt was the vice president of finance for Macy's. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was his job. Uh, I think he was one of many, because Macy's is such a big operation. Right, but still cool. Yeah. When Amanda was 10 years old, her parents did divorce, and Ida remarried to a man named Chris Mella. When Amanda was 15 years old, she took her first trip to Italy with her family, and she fell in love with the country. Cute. On that trip, she visited Rome, Pisa, and the Amalfi Coast. Yes. We are in Italy, guys, so it might be a little bit of a struggle bus. (laughs) Uh, She also saw the ruins of Pompeii, which is pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, I'd like to see that someday. That would be very cool. It's probably crazy, because it's just rock now. I mean, it's just ruins, but they're cool ruins. (laughs) They have history. (laughs) Yeah. Her mother later gifted her the book Under the Tuscan Sun, which is a romance novel about a woman who moves to Italy to, like, find herself, and she also finds, like, true love there. (laughs) So, you know, it's fitting. Yeah. Uh, So that made her even more fascinated with Italy. In 2005, Amanda graduated from Seattle Preparatory School and went on to study linguistics at the University of Washington, which I am jealous. Yeah, (laughs) I was just about to say that is that is your dream. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay, linguistics is actually way more difficult. Um, It's like the study of uh, parts of language and stuff. Yeah. So we have a linguistics major, but I was like, mm-hmm. 
It's hard. Yeah. So so what are you studying now? Uh, international studies with a focus on Europe and Asia. Nice. Nice. Yes. Uh, at college, Amanda was an above-average student despite her difficult major and even ended up making the dean's list. Wow. Which I forgot to look it up. Like, I know what the dean's list is. Is it not like 3.5 and up? I think that's usually... Uh, that might be average. Average? No. <laughs> uh, that that might be what that means. Okay, I was like, um, no. Yeah, I'm seeing average of 3.5 better. Uh, a basic premise of it is 3.5 and above, which is a really good GPA. I am jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Throughout her first year, she also held on a part-time job to support her dreams of studying abroad in Italy. Oh, well, there you go. So she's just very focused on Italy. Yeah, for real. Her stepfather was, like, really against this idea. He was like, you're not mature enough. You're not ready for that. But Amanda really thought she would find herself in Italy. She said she was kind of like an outcast and she was a weirdo. So she like wanted to do something to find herself and really connect with herself. Gotcha. She thought Italy was the place. And moving to a new country. That's definitely it. That's definitely something. <laughs> For her sophomore year, Amanda decided to study in Perugia, Italy. Um, she chose Perugia specifically because it had fewer tourists and fewer English-speaking students there. Yeah, I can see that. Like, Florence is pretty much where you go. Yeah, Florence is where you go to, like, visit, to study. So there's a lot of English-speaking culture around there. Which is fine, but when you're trying to learn a language... You want to be immersed in it. Exactly. Yeah. So, at the age of 20, Amanda packed her bags and made the 46-hour journey from Seattle to Italy. <laughs> Jesus. You were complaining about an eight-hour flight to Hawaii. Yeah. I, um, I think she wins. I, I, think, I think so. <laughs> In Perugia, she was able to score a beautiful four-bedroom rental house with a few flatmates. And burp. And, and burp. Yes. Lovely. The house was on top of this hill that overlooked this gorgeous valley, and it was kind of like this perfect, picturesque scene. Uh, even though it looked pretty, a lot of people said that it was kind of in a, quote, like, bad neighborhood. Like, this is where drug deals went down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So apparently right. in Italy, even where drug deals go down, it's drop-dead gorgeous. Y yeah. There, she had three roommates. Uh, two were Italian law students, and there was one English student who was from the UK. Meredith Ketcher, who was also studying abroad, and she was majoring in European politics and Italian. So definitely want to be in Italy for Italian. <laughs> for the Italian major, yeah. yeah. Good choice. Meredith's English-speaking friends, who were also studying abroad, said that Amanda preferred to talk to the Italian flatmates rather than Meredith and her friends because she was trying to practice her Italian skills. I mean, yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes sense. And also, they met... Oh, well, no, I won't talk about that yet. <laughs> no! Spoilers! Stop! <laughs> 
Amanda was expecting her classes in Italy to be really challenging for her, but upon her arrival, she found that they came pretty naturally, which is always nice. Uh, ah, definitely. I have not experienced these feelings with my <laughs> class. <laughs> I would not agree with that, but good for her. Yes. Because of this, she decided she wanted to pick up a part-time job at a bar owned by a man named Patrick Lamumbo. Lamumbo? Uh, she was to be the mumbo. It's a fun name to say. <laughs> she was to be the hostess, and her main draw was to entice customers in. She said she'd never experienced this kind of attention before because in America she was cute and innocent, but in Italy she was seen as the beautiful blonde American girl. Ah, so. She never received this type of attention, and she pretty much got a job solely based off the fact of how she looked. Well. Which, it, it's a little weird, but like, hey, money. Right, yeah. After about two weeks in Perugia, Amanda met a guy named Raffaele Solescito. Oh, God. Solescito. <laughs> I said it the exact same way the second time. I don't know why I reset it. Um, Solescito? No, I think it's Shito. Anyways, he was 23 years old and he was a computer science major, very techie, that type of person. I would hope so. Yeah, you kind of have to be to be in computer science. <laughs> she met him at a classical musical concert that she attended with her roommate Meredith. Amanda said that she was completely charmed by him and he was totally different from anything she'd ever experienced in the States before. I think one of her comments was literally like, she went from, hey baby, to um, beautiful Italian being spoken to her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for their first date, he actually took her on a tour of all of his favorite places in Perugia because he had grown up around the area. And at the end of the day, they shared their first kiss. Very cute. Very cute. Very picturesque. Definitely. European man. And literally the plot of Under the Tuscan Sun. Uh, just saying. I've never read the book myself, but she's living it. Yeah, that just sounds like a dream. It, it's a romance novel. <laughs> it is. After this, their relationship became pretty serious pretty quickly. For the entirety of the next week after Amanda's classes, she would go over to Raphael's or he would come to her and they would hang out for hours on end. They would usually spend those hours talking to each other, smoking weed, watching movies, and having sex. Wow. That's yeah. kind of a life. <laughs> It is the life. That sounds pretty great, honestly. <laughs> Not gonna lie. On the night of October 31st, Amanda was over at Raffaele's house watching a movie. So that is Halloween to us Americans. And in more recent years, Halloween has become more of a thing in Italy. But... I mean, okay, this is last time when I was like, why is Halloween not that big? And you said, yeah. Halloween is an American holiday. Halloween is, is. not an American holiday. What? 
Well, it's not just an American holiday. It It's mainly Americanized. The way that Halloween is celebrated in our minds. There we go. Anyways, while they were watching this movie, Amanda got a text from her boss and he was like, hey, you don't have to show up to work tomorrow. And she was like, hey, that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great text to receive. That's the best text to receive. Love it. Uh, she decided, hey, I might as well spend the night at Raffaele's because I don't have to be at work tomorrow. Yeah, might as well. So according to Amanda, she and Raffaele finished their movie, made dinner, smoked some weed, and then she she read a version of German Harry Potter to him. They they had sex and then fell asleep. And not only did they fall asleep, they like completely passed out. Like they were drained. Yeah. Um they went into a coma, I guess. Yeah. November 1st was an Italian holiday. It's actually called All Saints Day. Um, I'm not going to tell you what it's called in Italian because I'm already <laughs> struggling through the names. That is okay. No need. During All Saints Day, all saints and martyrs are honored for their service to the Catholic Church. Wow. Yay. Sounds super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both of the Italian flatmates were away celebrating that holiday with family. Makes sense. Meredith had been out most of the previous nights, like Amanda, but she had she was thought to have returned home late that night or early the morning of the first. And by early, I mean like one, two a.m. Oh, okay. Like you know, you come out. You come back from a night out and it's pretty late. Just go to sleep. Yeah, that's fair enough. Sometime around 10 a.m., Amanda walked four minutes back to her house uh, from Raffaele's and was immediately alarmed because the front door was unlocked and left ajar. Ooh. Eerie sight. Yeah, no, that's never good. Uh, despite this, she decided to enter anyways. <laughs> she thought maybe... Oh, Meredith, like, forgot to close and lock the door. That's normal. Yeah, that's definitely all that is. Nope, i leaving. Uh -huh. Actually gone. Like, why would you actually just stay around? And it gets worse, because um, she walked in, she saw that the living room and the kitchen were completely untouched, and she saw that her room was as she left it, so she was like, oh, it, it, it's fine. Because I checked these three places, I... Yeah, no, it's it's all good. I think since my room's good, we're all right. Yeah. Uh, she proceeded to the bathroom and started brushing her teeth. Uh, this is when she noticed that there were a few drops of blood in the sink. Another very big red flag. To yeah, get very, <laughs> very bad sight, I think. Please leave. Get the hell out of there, bro. She said she felt uneasy about this, but she was able to rationalize it, rationalize it in her mind by saying, oh, it's only a few drops of blood. We're all girls. Maybe someone's like on their period. And so, In the sink? In the sink. They were standing over the sink when this happened. Uh-huh. Or like, Definitely. maybe someone got like a paper cut. 
they're like a nosebleed I don't know yeah but like who wouldn't just turn on the sink to get rid of the blood yeah that that's very well she was brushing her teeth so maybe like washed down but uh she continued with her routine and she undressed and took a shower on her way out of the shower is when she noticed the much larger stain of blood left on the bath mat yeah, why would why would you take a shower with all these creepy things going on? And like, how did you not see the blood on your way into the shower? That too? I guess like you're more likely to look down when you're coming out of the shower, but Definitely, but did you not like step on the mat and be like, "Ooh, that's a little that feels a little crusty." Yeah. yeah. Uh, she again tried to rationalize this by saying, oh, maybe cut the- someone cut themselves and just kind of left the blood there. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, but she didn't go and like check on Meredith or anything. Uh, she decided to blow dry her hair because she had just finished showering. Girl, okay. Uh-huh. It was only when she was blow-drying her hair and she noticed an unflushed pile of human waste left in the toilet that she said she started to feel very uncomfortable. That's when she started to feel uncomfortable? She found some shit in the toilet and she said- And it was all over. Like, that's probably the most easily explained piece Yeah, normal thing to find in a bathroom. Yeah. Uh, uh, she got out of there, though, and she rushed back to Raffaele's house. Uh, she, <laughs> she told him about everything she saw, and he agreed to walk back with her. Uh, when they arrived back at the house, Raffaele was like, why the hell did you go into this house and take a shower? Exactly. Like, that was his first question. Yeah. They tried to open Meredith's door to see if she was okay. But it was locked. Ah. Yeah. So Amanda then tried to call Meredith's cell phone several times, but was unable to reach her. She called both of her other roommates to see if they knew where she was, but neither of them did. And so then Amanda decided to call her mom, who finally told her to call the police. Yeah. Really? We didn't call the police? Until then. Yeah. At 12.51 p.m., so almost 1 o'clock, and Amanda got there around 10. So it's been almost three hours. Oh. That's not a good time frame. No. Raffaele called one of the Italian National Police Forces to get them on the scene. Um, I was going to say the name. Can't say it. Yeah, that's what I was saying, is don't actually say the name, just say what it is. I was trying to be factual. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, he told them there was a break-in at the house, and that nothing was stolen, but that no one could get a hold of Meredith, and that her room was locked. Great. Great signs. So, the emergency was that no one knew where Meredith was, room was locked, no one could get a hold of her. Right. It wasn't really the scene itself that's fair 
So they sent a car right away, and when the police arrived, Amanda and Raffaele were rushed out of the house and told to go across the street. Hmm. The police broke down Meredith's door and found her naked body half-covered with a blanket. They noticed that there was a broken window and blood was everywhere, splattered on the walls, ceiling, and soaking the blanket that was covering her. Uh, this blood mainly stemmed from a wound in her throat that was so deep, her head was nearly decapitated. Wow. It it was gruesome. Yeah, that's gross. Someone also damn. Someone put so much force into doing that. Yeah. Like, stuff like that seems very personal to me. Like, someone intentionally... Well, of course, someone intentionally did this, but... Well, definitely. <laughs> oh, I accidentally... <laughs> no, I see what you mean, though. Like, someone obviously intended to do it, like, wanted to decapitate her. Yes. The head investigator, Giuliano Mignini, said that he immediately thought that the break-in was likely staged. He said he saw no signs that anyone had climbed up the building to get to the second story where Meredith's window was and nothing was stolen. So. Gotcha. Inside of Meredith, there was found to be unknown male DNA that they had not yet identified, that they could not yet identify. And there was also evidence to suggest that Meredith was held down because of both of these pieces of evidence. They suspected that she was raped. Uh, this is when Giuliani said he first started to suspect that this murder was possibly a sex game gone wrong. Which, we'll get back to that, but I really don't yeah. understand that theory. I don't get that at all. From almost being decapitated? Mm, no. Amanda, who was across the street, heard the frenzied conversation of police officers as they were yelling at each other, like, holy shit, bro, you gotta see this. Or like, don't go in there. Um, Jeez. This is how she found out that her roommate of only three weeks was dead. Yeah. Uh, no one, like, came up and told her, like, hi. Oh I'm sorry to tell you this, but unfortunately, we did find Meredith is dead. Like, wow, she just watched all of these cops running out and being like, "Guys, guys!" Yeah, it, that's like <laughs> what the hell the worst way to find out about something. Definitely, and she probably had so many mixed feelings because she only knew her for three weeks, and yeah, she died. Apparently, didn't talk to her that much. Yeah. And she also died in the house that they shared, that she right. just so happened to not be um, staying at that night. Right. Raffaele and Amanda could be seen comforting each other with affection. They were kissing, hugging, stuff like that. Um, I understand you're in a new relationship, but maybe that's not the best time to do this type of PDA. Yeah, that's sort of strange. It, it was enough that many police officers commented that this was really weird to them and they thought it was inappropriate. I see. The next day, Amanda was invited back to the crime scene to answer a couple questions and give some clarification. 
They showed her all the knives that they had found in the kitchen, and they were hoping that she could tell them if she saw any of them missing from the lineup. Okay. So they were literally trying to find the murder weapon from yeah. their own kitchen. Uh, Amanda said that it hadn't really hit her that Meredith had been murdered yet, but when she was asked to do that, everything just came at her at once, and she was completely hysteric. She was in complete hysterics. Oh, wow. Yeah. She had a total breakdown at the side of the knives and could not continue to help them. Oof. Which I think is understandable. Yeah. Uh, investigator Giuliani, however, said that this was when he first started to suspect Amanda. Okay. Um, he thought that her breakdown might have been her having some sort of um, memory of what she did to Amer- uh, Meredith. Ah. Yeah. He specifically noted that she was hitting her ears, and he thought that this was maybe her way of trying to block out the memory of Meredith screaming. Oh. Um, a bit of a jump, but like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a jump, but I definitely see where he's coming from. That's a... I-, I can see why, because like, why else was she hitting her ears? That's a very astute observation. For sure. Yeah, no, I think it, it was honestly a pretty good observation. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know. Five days after the murder, Raffaele was called in for questioning by the police. Uh, Amanda what? Raffaele? Yeah, Raffaele specifically. Okay, just clarifying. Uh, Amanda was not, but she ended up tagging along anyways, just because they were together at the time. Right. They spent every waking moment because, together. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure she wasn't sleeping in that house. No. Like, of course she's with Raffaele. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um I'm really not going to sugarcoat this interrogation and how it went. I think it was completely horrific and oh yeah. Awful. Remember this. Uh, Don't sugarcoat it, honestly. But first let's talk about why it might have been that way. In Perugia, this was the first murder case that they had had in over 20 years. Not only that, but it was so gruesome that it was getting a lot more news coverage than a typical murder might have. Hmm, yeah, so this part, I did feel really bad for how they treated Raffaele and Amanda. But yeah. I also do understand just because it was the first murder in a long time, and I'm sure they had a lot of pressure to put the blame on someone. For sure. They wanted to figure this out. They wanted to prove that they were equipped to handle something like this. Yeah, because it was the first time in so long, and it was so bad. Yeah, it was like 0 to 150. (laughs) It really was. With that being said, the police were very hard on Raffaele and later Amanda when she came into the mix. Uh, When Raffaele told police what happened that night, uh, they just straight up refused to believe him. (laughs) So they, he was like, yeah, I was home all night with Amanda. They were like, 
No, you weren't. So that's that, I guess. Cool. Like, they were literally in a high coma. Like, what do you want from them? They were high, bro. What? <laughs> um, When he still refused to give them an answer that they were satisfied with, they started to get nasty. Raffaele claims that a police officer told him that he knew Amanda had lied to Raffaele, that she was a stupid slut, a cow, and she just didn't care about Raffaele at all. Wow. That That is a bit too far, guys. That's a bit much. (laughs) Maybe don't say that. Oh my god. Because, like, how the hell would you know, bro? Exactly. What do you what do you want from her? At this point, the only thing that the only time Amanda's been talked to is the day when she was asked to identify the knives. Like they asked her a couple basic questions and then let her go. It's not like they've gotten a grasp on how she is or anything like that. It's just so yeah. baffling to me. Right. I see what you're saying. Like, how did they even get that from her? They didn't. They were just making shit up. I mean, it. I yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they went on to stress that he was in a very bad situation and that he needed to tell the truth about Amanda or face severe consequences, which is just... <laughs> that is not what you tell someone to get them to confess. Yeah, because you will get them to confess if you t- exactly. keep telling them things like that, but it might not be the truth. Yeah. Uh, it was only after that immense pressure that Raffaele told them, so far, I've told you a bunch of lies. Amanda, she mm-hmm. told me to tell them. The truth is, I was home, but Amanda wasn't with me and didn't come back until 1 a.m. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, we were at the house, but Amanda left and didn't return till 1 a.m. So she's unaccounted for from, like... I, he didn't say when she left. Okay. A couple hours. Right. This confession was then written down and signed by Raffaele. Oh. Yeah. So he definitely signed it and he said, yes, this is the truth. Wow. Okay. But under extenuating circumstances. Right. Not to say it didn't happen. Just pointing out. What? Just pointing out that it was probably an extremely forced confession. Just a little bit. Doesn't mean she didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, definitely. There's definitely evidence to suggest she might have. Well, yeah. Like, uh, hmm, just keep going. (laughs) You said, oh, I know too much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) After they had Raffaele's confession, they brought Amanda into another interrogation room and began to question her. Uh, there, they immediately told her, hey, Raffaele just told us that you were gone for this period of night. Of the Guys. Night. He was like, excuse me? Is this day one of detective school? Yeah, you don't tell them. Are you joking? You ask them, hey, what happened? You yeah. don't go in there like, and you can, hey, so. You can imply that you know something. In a lot of different ways. Yeah, the main thing during interrogation is you want them to tell you the story. Correct. You don't want to be telling them the story, which is where they went wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Amanda said that they started screaming at her to hand over her phone because they were like, we can prove you weren't there that night. And she was like, okay, okay, I'll give you my phone because it'll prove I was there the whole night. <laughs> huh. That's what she thought. Um, okay. When they went through her phone, they found a text she sent to her boss. Um, remember the boss had said, hey, you don't have to come into work tomorrow. And she was like, cool. Yeah. So after that, she sent a text. Uh, it was in Italian, but it directly translate to, translates to, we will see each other later. Have a good night. Okay. Um, that to me seems like, okay, talk to you later. You have a good night. You, you, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Like, you have to think about the fact that she did not know Italian, so she was probably being a little yeah. too formal. But she probably doesn't know the vocabulary to say it casually. Yeah. And it's... So it sounds a little sus. It does. And they said that it sounded like she was planning on to meet up with him that night. Uh, yeah, I can see how it sounds that way, but I really do think it was just like... Hey, I'm just learning. A like, yeah, I am literally just trying to learn. <laughs> and it's her boss. So of course she's going to be exactly. a little more formal with him. Yeah, that's true as well. So she was like, uh, no, what the hell? That's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> the main part of that text that sticks out to me is she says, have a good night. To me, that lies. She's not going to see him. Yeah. So have a good rest it of your night. Exactly. Like, why would you tell someone to have a good night if you were going to see them that night? Exactly. Uh, they did not see it that way. Um, <laughs> this interrogation was pretty much a mess. At one point, Amanda said that she said in English, what the fuck is going on? Because <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What the hell? And one of the officers picked up on that and he was like, oh, fuck, I know what fuck means. Fuck you. But, like, he was very aggressive. <laughs> very aggressive the entire time. Um, they kept telling her that she was remembering why she sent that text wrong, and she obviously couldn't remember that she was planning on meeting up with Patrick because she couldn't handle what she had done to Meredith. Okay. They were literally gaslighting her. Yeah, that's... They were telling her what she did, and they were making it fit Raphael's confession. <laughs> Just gaslighting her. Yeah, no, like, that's clearly mm -hmm. gaslighting. Uh, at this point in the interrogation, she said that one of the cops hit her in the back of the head and yelled at her to remember. Yeah, that is extremely inappropriate. Inappropriate, aggressive, not correct. Not no. how an interrogation should go. <sighs> he proceeded to do this a couple more times until she eventually broke down and also confessed. Yeah. She said she left Raffaele's house to meet up with Patrick, who killed Meredith in front of her. So, in this confession, she is saying that she was not involved in the killing of Meredith, but she did see it happen. Um, she also signed a typed confession to this effect, mm -hmm. and later said that this confession was forced 
just like Raffaele said. That night, Amanda, Raffaele, and Patrick were all arrested for the murder of Meredith Ketcher. <laughs> Damn, they got Patrick too? They got Patrick because um, their whole basis of Amanda being involved. I know, but they, they have to like question him. Nope, they just, they got him. Damn. <laughs> After the news of Amanda's arrest broke in the media, it went absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, there was already crazy media coverage of this case because of the fact that it was a pretty girl that was brutally murdered. But now two pretty girls are involved, and one of them is the murderer. Right, yeah. So that's even more compelling. A <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, public opinion started to form from all these news, from all these news outlets, and Amanda was seen as the promiscuous American who had multiple sex partners in her day, while Meredith was seen as the beautiful virgin victim who was struck down by Amanda. So it was very. Um, oh, these girls came from two different worlds, and then they clashed, and it ended in murder. Yeah, like, why would they? Which um, is, it, they just literally attacked her. They attacked Amanda on pretty much every level. Honestly. Wow. But they also spun the idea that Amanda was trying to get Meredith involved in some perverted sex game. Which is based solely off of Giuliani, the head investigator's suspicion. Yeah, I... Wow. This is one of those cases where the facts and evidence weren't that interesting. It's so, like, people didn't want to know, oh, her head was almost attacked. Decapitated. Uh -huh. People wanted to know, oh, Amanda did this in her past life in Seattle. Isn't that scandalous? Right, yeah, that's... Not the way you want to look at things. But it's the way the news goes sometimes. At this point, the case became international headlines and everyone knew Amanda's name for all the wrong reasons. She even earned herself a nickname, which was Foxy Noxy. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, this was coined after a video was released of her shopping at a lingerie store with Raffaele the day after the murder. Uh, she... Did she even know yet? Yes. Well, yeah, she knew that day. Oh, well, okay, that's kind of weird. Not gonna lie. Yeah, um, the video's a little weird because she's shopping with Raffaele and she's, like, laughing and showing him all these things. So, definitely not someone in mourning in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, people deal with grief in different ways, and she was probably in a very confused state. That's true. I mean, there is that thing about the knives, so. Yeah. Um, the frenzy continued when Amanda's diary, which she was keeping in prison, was released. It was leaked everywhere. Uh, in this diary, she details her experience in jail and her experiences coming to term with the fact that she was HIV positive and would likely develop AIDS. 
Wow. Yeah. So during her medical examination, she received she received before entering prison. She was told by medical professionals that she was HIV positive and that she would likely contract AIDS, which um, AIDS is still a scary thing now. But in like, what is this, 2003, 2005? Yeah, that was really scary. Terrifying back then. This diary was used as her outlet where she could let her feelings out. She shared very intimate details with in it about her sex life and a bunch of previous sex partners so it was really detrimental to her image when this came out right yeah that's a lot of info yeah um on principle i did not read it because um that is not my business yeah i agree with that but this basically just further solidified her nickname, Foxy Noxy, and her um, very rough public image. Even worse, though, it was later found out that she didn't even have HIV. She wasn't HIV positive. She wasn't going to contract AIDS. And this was a trick played on her by the prosecutors to hopefully get her to confess to more of the crime oh my god yeah they literally lied to her to see if she would confess saying she would die yeah yeah yeah, it's not just a lie it's it's telling her she was going to die telling her she has this really bad illness that's really scary and like no one wants to hear it Mm mm-hmm disgusting yeah while amanda was being slammed by the media giuliano was being praised for his facts fast action and swift investigation skills he became a sort of local celebrity and was seen as a hero in the eyes of law enforcement jeez this all yeah so while amanda is being literally berated he's getting this treatment yeah this was all halted when three weeks after the arrest of patrick lamumbo he was released because he was able to provide a rock solid alibi okay what's his rock solid alibi uh that's a great question Uh, i think he was working and there were cameras yeah okay but Uh, either way, he, he was released. It, it was enough to get him immediately released. Okay, damn. Amanda was still held, though, because they were like, oh, Amanda's definitely still involved. <laughs> Even though the text was literally the one thing that yeah. we had going off of. Yeah. Uh, Giuliano came to visit Amanda for the sole purpose of figuring out why she had implicated Patrick that night. On recording, she said to him, I was stressed, I was scared, it was long hours in the middle of the night, I was innocent, and they were telling me I was guilty. And then um, she kind of started to break down and cry. Ah. And to this, Giuliano simply said, for the record, she is crying. Jesus. Yep, not really that compassionate, but he thinks he's talking to a murderer. So yeah, 
he would not take her response as an answer, and he kept repeating the question, um, which sounds a little bit familiar. Yeah. Seems like they like this tactic quite a bit. <laughs> Amanda said that this is when she realized that law enforcement was never going to believe anything she said unless it fit their story. Okay. Giuliano on this experience said that he thinks Amanda is an anarchist uh, because she has a negative attitude towards authority. Which mean, I feel like she deserves to have I a negative why. attitude. <laughs> like, bro, last time she talked to the authorities, she was thrown in jail and she's saying she's innocent. Yeah, like, mm. Mm, not sure about that one. Uh, but Amanda wasn't looking completely innocent herself. Amanda found herself in hot water when a knife collected from Raffaele's house was found to have her DNA on the handle and Meredith's DNA on the blade. Okay. So they obviously thought that this was the murder weapon. And it also fit the description of like what might have been used. Right, but was it Meredith's D was it blood or just DNA? It was DNA. Um they couldn't determine like if it was blood, so they thought like she had like cleaned it with bleach or something like that. I see. Amanda said that this was literally impossible and she couldn't explain it. Like she she had that, zero explanation that's for it. this. Yeah. Um Furthermore, Meredith's bra clasp from that night was found to have Raffaele's DNA on it. Mm. So one of the things they found in the investigation was Amanda's bra Amanda. Meredith's bra clasp had been like ripped off the bra and was like thrown on the ground. Yeah. And that had Raffaele's DNA on it. Interesting. There were a bunch of other fingerprints in the unidentified male DNA that was found. And it was a completely separate suspect who we haven't even met yet. Yeah. Rudy Gade was 20 years old at the time of the murder and lived on the same street as Meredith and Amanda. He was known around town for committing break-ins within the neighborhood. And his DNA was all over this crime scene. Through a friend of Rudy's, police were able to get a recording of Rudy confessing to being present that night. Okay. On a recorded Skype call, Rudy says that he was there that night and he was going to have sex with Meredith, but they decided not to because they didn't have a condom. Cool. Uh, sure. <laughs> He then said he went to the bathroom, and as he was leaving, he saw a completely different man enter Meredith's bedroom <laughs> and heard Meredith scream. Um, okay. Uh, he conveniently couldn't see the man's face, as it was shrouded in darkness. Mm -hmm. And then he saw the man leave, and so after the guy left, he went back into the room and saw Meredith... And was, like, holding her because she was bleeding out and dying. Yeah. And then he just left after that. And he didn't want to, like, tell anyone? No. 
Okay. Uh, he said his reasoning for not telling anyone was because he didn't want to be implicated because he had blood all over him. But, like... I think he might have been implicated because I think this man might be guilty. Yeah. Like, pretty clearly. <laughs> yeah. He was very adamant about one fact, though. He did not see Amanda there. All right. Rudy was arrested immediately after this conversation was had. And uh, Rudy was arrested immediately after this conversation was had. His DNA was literally all over this crime scene, including a bloody palm print. <laughs> and there was proof he had had sex with Meredith, even though he said he hadn't. And he's saying Amanda definitely wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Despite this, Rudy got barely any media coverage, and his claims of Amanda not being present were completely disregarded in the investigation and the news. Doing great. Yeah, it sounds like this is a solid investigation where <laughs> nothing could go wrong. It, it really seems like they've got everything down to a science here. For sure. It sounds yeah, I sound. <laughs> Despite this, you know, they both remained in jail and they awaited their trial. Mm -hmm. Rudy um, chose to actually go for a fast track trial, meaning he would skip the process of having a trial in front of a jury and instead meet in front of a judge who would decide his fate based on the evidence provided. Okay. So on October 30th, 2008, Rudy was sentenced to 30 years in prison for the murder of Meredith Ketcher. Great. On January 16th, 2009, the joint trial of Raffaele Solashito okay. and, I know, <laughs> and Amanda Knox began. Amanda took the stand and said that on the night of the murder, she and Raffaele were at his house the entire night and that her confession was completely forced. Raffaele said the same thing when he took the stand. Okay. So they both co cooperated each other's stories. Amanda also refuted the idea that she and Meredith weren't friends. She basically said, like, we weren't the best of friends, but... But yeah, there was no reason for her to hate Meredith. Right? For the same reasons that they weren't the best of friends, there was no reason for her to hate. They had met each other three weeks ago. I don't yeah. think you can, like, love someone or hate someone that fast. I don't think so either. The prosecution sought to prove that Meredith had died by the hands of Amanda with the help of Rudy and Raffaele. Um, they pretty much thought Amanda was the mastermind of this. Yeah. Uh, even though they had <laughs> no motive, they, right. they, they, they definitely have a motive. It's just, it's not well, true at all. We'll talk. It's definitely speculation. It is a speculatory motive. Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I can make up words. This is our show. It's fine, man. <laughs> uh, 
Just an FYI, though, Amanda said she didn't even know who Rudy was and that she'd <laughs> maybe seen him on the street, but Damn. there was no evidence to suggest that she knew him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, like, I don't really think there would be a connection there. So the case in the prosecution's eyes was that Amanda, being the dominatrix sex addict that she is, clearly had two of her sexual partners over, who were Rudy and Raffaele. Mm -hmm. Throughout the course of the night, she asked Meredith to join them in their sex game that they were playing. I don't know what it was. They never clarified. <laughs> they didn't even bother to come up with one? No, they were like, uh, sex game. Squeaking? <laughs> when Meredith had a problem with what Amanda was doing, Amanda allegedly went crazy and instructed Rudy and Raffaele to hold Meredith down while she continually stabbed her. Jesus. Yeah. Um... I don't know, bro. I don't know, bro. That's not... That's not normal. Like, no... That is not what I gathered from... None of that. So, uh, no words. I have no words for that explanation. Like, she was held down. There was evidence to suggest that. But that's the only thing that... (laughs) is shown in evidence that is in this story. Mm -hmm. Even though there was proof behind the fact that she could have held what was the murder weapon, there was no proof that any sex game was happening, and they were basically just using that to fill the motive. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. As the trial came to a close, Rudy had a surprise revelation at his appeal hearing. (laughs) <laughs> all right he was like oh my gosh guys the date is november 18th 2009 and he suddenly changed his story and he put both amanda and Raffaele at the scene that night oh my god he said they were there <laughs> guys guess what <laughs> not only that he said he saw amanda and meredith fighting hours before meredith's death Wow. Uh, He still maintains that he was an innocent bystander who wanted to have consensual (laughs) sex with her. (laughs) This was huge for the prosecution, despite his original story. Uh, For this contribution, Rudy was awarded 16 years off of his sentence. What? Yeah, so he had a 30-year sentence. So it brought him down to 14 years, and he had already served uh, a year at this point. Damn. So that's crazy, especially because he's the one who's has the most compelling evidence against him. Who definitely killed her. Mm-hmm. December 4th, 2009, after more than 50 hearings and dozens of witnesses, the verdict was finally in. After... Almost a year of trial, Amanda and Raffaele were found guilty of the murder of Meredith Ketcher. <sighs> <laughs> the feedback 
was necessary there because oh my god yeah Whew. Amanda was sentenced to 26 years and Raffaele was sentenced to 25 <laughs> in prison Amanda said that she entered a deep depression and thought of suicide almost every day that she was locked up Raffaele said he endured similar things, and he also had to go through six months of solitary confinement. Which is just insane, because to me, he's the least implicated. Exactly, I agree with that. And solitary confinement is very damaging to the psyche, no matter yeah. how introverted you think you are. Humans are naturally social creatures, so hmm. for that to for to have to go through that at such a vulnerable age is crazy. And he didn't even do like anything. No, um, they found his DNA on one piece of evidence, and yeah, like I see that, and I guess he was implicated. Yeah, but wrongly, for sure. Um, maybe he deserved the prison time, but. Maybe not solitary confinement. Not solitary confinement. <laughs> yeah. Raffaele said during this time that he especially longed for Amanda and the five beautiful days that they were able to spend together. Amanda was his first girlfriend and the first person he had sex with. So he was really ripped from that opportunity. Yeah. They both were of that relationship going somewhere. I know. On June 27, 2011, almost two years after the initial conviction, the appeals for Amanda and Raffaele began. At the appeal, Rudy directly testified against them. The judge gave the go-ahead for the DNA evidence to be re-examined. So he didn't say that they could walk free, but he did say that they could re-examine uh, DNA evidence specifically of Amanda and Raffaele. Outside expert Dr. Stefan uh, Stefano Conti was brought in to re-examine the collection of the forensic evidence in the Meredith Ketcher case. In his report, he wanted to make sure everyone knew how easy it is to spread DNA evidence. Literally, okay, you're sitting at your desk. Yeah. Lift your arm. Okay. You just spread skin cells everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so DNA is a very fickle thing. And that's why it's so important in a crime scene that everything be completely sterilized to avoid the possibility of cross-contamination. Yeah. Dr. Conti said... Upon examining the videos taken at the scene, he saw total chaos. <laughs> so all of the DNA collection and crime scene investigations were on tape. And oh my god. <laughs> People were coming in and out of the house without prote protective suits or surgical booties. Sometimes they weren't even wearing gloves. Uh, yeah. Um, nobody was changing their surgical um, boots, and gloves were rarely changed. After review, he thought the environment uh, was definitely at high risk for cross-contamination, 
and within the videos taken, you can hear forensic police officers on scene saying, wow, this is horrible. Yeah. Like, wow, no one's doing their job. Great. In one recording, a police officer was heard saying there is unbelievable organization in every aspect. Mm -hmm. So someone on scene that day was like, guys, (laughs) this is crazy. Wow. The the bra clasp that held DNA evidence of Raffaele was found under a small rug, and it was found 46 days after the murder. Okay. So it sat under this rug for 46 days. Great. And was in this highly contaminated environment for 46 days. And then they were like, guys, wait, there's Raffaele's DNA on this. (laughs) Oh my god. Then there's the knife, which is by far the most damning piece of evidence for Amanda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, when you hear that, you're like, oh my god, yeah, she definitely did it. Right. So, if you remember, Amanda's DNA is on the handle, and Meredith's is on the blade. And it was also found in Raffaele's apartment. Well, Dr. Conti found that there was definite traces of Amanda's DNA, but that the traces of Meredith's DNA were so minuscule that he was almost 100% sure that it was contaminated. Wow. And this is supposedly the murder weapon. Yeah, exactly. This is the only weapon that they found and claimed to be what she was murdered with. So, like, judging by how bloody and gruesome this scene was, there should be so much DNA on this knife. Well, I mean, yeah, even if she did clean it with bleach, like, yeah, yeah, there should be so much blood. Like, blood doesn't go away just like that. Uh, so what happened was Amanda probably used it to like, while she was cooking because the knife was at her boyfriend's house. Yeah. And then later she was pegged for it (laughs) Jeez. because the scene was handled so poorly. Mm -hmm. He also found that there was cross-contamination in the labs that they were using to (laughs) examine this DNA evidence. So that's another, um, that that's another place where contamination was being had. So pretty much at every level, this investigation was extremely mishandled. Yeah, for sure. Once this information was released, the media completely changed their minds about Amanda. And now <laughs> she was an innocent victim and she needed to be saved from this awful nightmare which is yeah i mean like great but yeah (laughs) this was especially prevalent in the uh american news outlets and um, yeah it's just a fun little tidbit donald trump himself chimed in (laughs) chimed in to say uh that americans should boycott italy because of the amanda knox case oh my god yeah Yeah. boycott italy You know? That's what we need to do. Don't help That's the solution. (laughs) When presented with the evidence that his investigation was complete horseshit, Giuliani (laughs) McNinney said, 
Every piece of evidence has its uncertainties. I have to remind you, her behavior was totally unrational. <laughs> totally irrational. Which, sir, okay, but if you have no DNA evidence, you can't just convict someone off of the yeah, fact that like, they were acting a little off. Your behavior was also totally irrational. Maybe that's why she was acting that way. Exactly. Dr. Conti uh, shot back at this with a quote from Cicero, and the quote was, Any man is liable to make mistakes, but only the fool preserves in his error. So he's basically like, yeah, you can make a mistake, but your true colors come out if you're persistent in saying that your mistakes are correct. Definitely. Which... I couldn't have said it better myself, and I won't try. <laughs> when this evidence was presented at the hearing, both Amanda and Raffaele were acquitted almost immediately, and they were free to go home. Within the courthouse, cheers could be heard, and Amanda collapsed into the arms of her lawyer, just like overwhelmed with relief type of thing. Wow. Yeah. Outside of the courthouse, though, the Italian people were in outrage mm. they still held on to the belief that their justice system had done the right thing and they had been hearing all these awful things about how she was 100 percent guilty for so long that it was just so hard to make that to like be turned around from that yeah point. i can see that amanda flew back to seattle <laughs> as soon as she could and was welcomed with open arms by her friends and family. That's good. Amanda said that when she got out, she thought everything would come easy to her, but she was suddenly being treated as a celebrity and didn't know what to do with that. Mm. She just wanted to go back to her normal life, but quickly found out she couldn't. She was a completely different person than the one who left Seattle over three years ago. Yeah, that would definitely change a person oh for sure you're I, I don't even know what to say about that i can't even fathom what that would do to you no i really can't everyone thought that they knew her but nobody actually did they she saw these people go from hating her to adoring her so she didn't know who to trust mm -hmm. but despite their beliefs this journey wasn't over for them yet Amanda and Raffaele's case was taken to the Italian Supreme Court to be retried again. Yep. Mm -hmm. it just, the nightmare is never ending for these two. I know. Like, what is it going to take for you guys to give it up? Six years after the murder, Amanda and Raffaele were possibly facing jail time again. This time, the case only consisted of the circumstantial evidence, so things like con their confessions and Rudy's testimony, um, Amanda's bizarre behavior after the fact, and her previous relationship history, which, Wait. how the hell Why? is her previous relationship history relevant to a murder investigation? It is not. Exactly. It's, it's really not. It's because they're really trying to spin this narrative that she yeah. was trying to do something to Meredith that Meredith didn't want to have happen to her. Which, awful if that happened, but it absolutely didn't. Yeah, exactly. 
Luckily, Amanda and Raffaele did uh, not have to be present for this trial. They had the option to be, but they were both like, no, we're, we're not doing that again. <laughs> Good. When it came to a close, Amanda and Raffaele were reconvicted of Meredith's murder. Which, how the hell what happened? did that happen? Ugh. Amanda and Raffaele um, did have to wait to see if the conviction was going to be upheld. Because the way the Supreme Court works is um, you can be convicted, but are they going to uphold that conviction or are they just going to let it um or are they going to overturn it? Correct. Uh, fortunately, two years later, the verdict was overturned for the last time, and the nightmare completely came to a close for them. <laughs> God. Which, thank God. Um, unfortunately, the nightmare that Meredith's family was going through um, did not end because they still very much believed that Amanda had some involvement in Meredith's death. Um I'm not going to tell them how to feel. It is their um, family member who they lost and they are grieving. And I'm sure they will never have full closure about this yeah, situation. I feel like it's more of a closure thing. Yeah, for sure. And especially with the injustice that Rudy is only facing 14 years. Exactly. Even though he was sentenced to 30. Mm-hmm. In September 2015, the Italian Supreme Court released uh, their reason for the acquittal of the case. They stated that stunning flaws in the investigation and increased media frenzy created a, quote, frantic search for guilty parties. Justices find a complete lack of biological traces connecting Knox and Salito to the crime. Evidence still points to Rudy. Yeah. Yes, it was. So they were literally stating, hey, Raffaele and Amanda, they don't have any traces here, but Rudy 100% does. <laughs> Amanda went on to publish a book that was entitled Waiting to be Heard, a memoir that was published in 2013, and she graduated college a year later in 2014. Good for her. Yeah. In 2019, the European Court of Human Rights ordered Italy to pay Amanda over $20,000 in damages for the harsh and unnecessary interrogation. Which, good for her. She deserves that. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, she is now an advocate for wrongful convictions. Uh, as she should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Raffaele runs his own internet company in Bari, Italy, and he serves as a true crime expert uh, for true crime television in Italy. Very cool. Giuliano Mignini has since been promoted to general prosecutor. Why? Um, I don't know. This man should have been demoted. Yeah. Um, Rudy Guade. Guade. I don't know maintains his innocence and was granted day release in 2017 meaning that he was able to leave prison during the day and just had to come back at night what the hell i know it's ridiculous he was set to be released in 2022 but in 2020 he was granted to carry out the rest of his sentence through community service oh so this man God. is back on the streets great yep 
to hell. Mm. F that guy. Yeah. Real. Mm. I hope. I don't know. I hope he like shoplifts somewhere and has to go back to jail. <laughs> that would be some great justice, I think. Yes. Uh, I'll leave us with a quote from Amanda herself. Uh, she says, I think people love monsters. So when they get a chance, they want to see them. It's people projecting their own fears onto others, which is just like, that's her describing her whole situation of being like, yeah, um, it, she was portrayed as a monster and people wanted to see her that way. Yeah, it's true. So that wraps up the case of Amanda Knox or the re-recording of the case of Amanda Knox. <laughs> Amanda Knox for the second time. Yeah. Um, I do think this case is very interesting and I'm glad we got a somewhat happy ending. But yeah, I agree. It's, it was a lot of waiting, I think. Yeah. Fortunately, it wasn't like a case where it was like 20 years down the line and they finally got justice. Yes, but um, she still had to spend almost two years in jail and so did Raffaele. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find us at True Crime Save What on Instagram. That is where I post pictures from the cases so you can connect faces to the cases. <laughs> Ooh, that rhymed. I like it. That's <laughs> uh, you can also send us an email at truecrimesaywhat at gmail.com and make sure you listen next week for a new episode of True Crime Say What. Bye. See you later.